0: Chapter Sixteen of Princess Mary's Gift Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit org Princess Mary's Gift Book, Chapter Sixteen, Out of the Jaws of Death, a Scarlet Pimpernel Story by Baroness Orczy. WE WERE SUCH A HAPPY FAMILY BEFORE THIS TERRIBLE REVOLUTION BROKE OUT. WE LIVED RATHER SIMPLY, BUT VERY COMFORTABLY IN OUR DEAR OLD HOME JUST ON THE BORDERS OF THE FOREST OF Compagne. JEAN AND ANDRE WERE THE TWINS. JUST FIFTEEN YEARS OLD THEY WERE WHEN KING LOUIS WAS DEPOSED FROM THE THRONE OF FRANCE, WHICH GOD HAD GIVEN HIM, AND WENT TO PRISON LIKE A COMMON CRIMINAL, WITH OUR BEAUTIFUL QUEEN MARIE ANTOINETTE AND THE ROYAL CHILDREN, AND MADAME ELIZABETH, WHO WAS SO BELOVED BY THE POOR ah uh, that seems very very long ago now no doubt you know better than i do all that happened in our beautiful land of france and in lovely paris about that time goods and property confiscated innocent men women and children condemned to death for acts of treason which they had never committed it was in august last year that they came to mon and arrested papa Mamma, and us four young ones and dragged us to paris Where we were imprisoned in a narrow and horrible dank vault in the abbey where all day and night through the humid stone walls we heard the cries and sobs and moans from poor people who no doubt were suffering the same sorrows and the same indignities as we were i had just passed my 19th birthday and marguerite was only thirteen Maman was a perfect angel during that terrible time she kept up our courage and our faith in god in a way that no one else could have done Every night and morning we knelt round her knee, and Papa sat close beside her, and we prayed to God for deliverance from our own afflictions, and for the poor people who were crying and moaning all the day. But of what went on outside our prison walls we had not an idea, though sometimes poor Papa would brave the warder's brutalities and ask him questions of what was happening in Paris every day. "'They are hanging all the stoves to the street lamps of the city,' the man would reply with a cruel laugh. "'And it will be your turn next.' We had been in prison for about a fortnight, then one day—oh, shall I ever forget it? We heard in the distance a noise like the rumbling of thunder. Nearer and nearer it came, and soon the sound became less confused. Cries and shrieks could be heard above that rumbling din, but so weird and menacing did those cries seem that instinctively, though none of us knew what they meant, we all felt a nameless terror grip our hearts. Oh i am not going to attempt the awful task of describing to you all the horrors of that never-to-be-forgotten day people who to-day cannot speak without a shudder of the september massacres have not the remotest conception of what really happened on that truly awful second day of the month we are all at peace and happy now but whenever my thoughts fly back to that morning whenever the ears of memory recall those hideous yells of fury and of hate Coupled with the equally horrible cries for pity which pierced through the walls behind which the six of us were crouching, trembling, and praying. Whenever I think of it, all my heart still beats violently with that same nameless dread which held it in its deathly grip then. Hundreds of men, women, and children were massacred in the prisons of Paris on that day. It was a Saint Bartholomew even more hideous than the last. Maman was trying in vain to keep our thoughts fixed upon God. Papa sat on the stone bench. His elbows resting on his knees, his head buried in his hands, but my mom was kneeling on the floor with her dear arms encircling us all, and her trembling lips moving in continuous prayer. We felt that we were facing death, and what a death, Oh my God! Suddenly, the small grated window high up in the dank wall became obscured. I was the first to look up, but the cry of terror which rose from my heart was choked ere it reached my throat. John and André looked up too, and they shrieked, and so did Marguerite, and Papa jumped up and ran to us, and stood suddenly between us and the window like a tiger defending its young. The children did not even cry. They stared wide-eyed, paralyzed with fear. Only Maman continued to pray, and we could hear Papa's rapid and stutterous breathing as he watched what was going on in that window above. Heavy blows were falling against the masonry round the grating, and we could hear the nerve-wracking sound of a file working on those iron bars "'and farther away below the window "'those awful yells of human beings "'transformed by hate and fury "'into savage beasts. "'How long this horrible suspense lasted "'I cannot now tell you. "'The next thing I remember clearly "'is a number of men "'in horrible ragged clothing "'pouring into our vault-like prison "'from the window above. "'The next moment they rushed at us "'simultaneously, "'or so it seemed to me, "'for I was just then "'recommending my soul to God. "'So certain was I "'that in that same second "'I would cease to live. "'It was all like a dream.' for instead of the horrible shriek of satisfied hate which we were all expecting to hear, a whispered voice, commanding and low, struck our ear and dragged us, as it were, from out of the abyss of despair into the sudden light of hope. "'If you will trust us,' the voice whispered, "'and not be afraid, you will be safely out of Paris within an hour.' Papa was the first to realize what was happening. He had never lost his presence of mind, even during the darkest moments of this terrible time, and he said quite calmly and steadily now, what must we do? Persuade the little ones not to be afraid, not to cry, to be as still and silent as may be, continued the voice, which I felt must be that of one of God's own angels, so exquisitely kind did it sound to my ear. They will be quiet and still without persuasion, said Papa. Eh, children? And Jean, André, and Marguerite murmured, Yes, while Maman and I drew them closer to us, and said everything we could think of to make them still more brave and the whispering, commanding voice went on after a while. Now, will you allow yourselves to be muffled and bound, and after that will you swear that whatever happens, whatever you may see or hear, you will neither move nor speak? Not only your own lives, but those of many brave men will depend upon your fulfillment of this oath. Papa made no reply, save to raise his hand and his eyes up to where God surely was watching over us all. Maman said in her gentle, even voice, For myself and my children, I swear to do all that you tell us. A great feeling of confidence had entered into her heart, just as it had done into mine. We looked at one another and knew that we were both thinking the same thing. We were thinking of the brave Englishman and his gallant little band of heroes about whom we had heard many wonderful tales of how they had rescued a number of innocent people who were unjustly threatened with a guillotine. And we all knew that the tall figure, disguised in horrible rags, Who spoke to us with such a gentle yet commanding voice was the man whom rumour credited with supernatural powers and who was known by the mysterious name of the scarlet pimpernel hardly had we sworn to do his bidding than his friends most unceremoniously threw great pieces of sacking over our heads and then proceeded to tie ropes round our bodies at least i know that that is what one of them was doing to me and from one or two whispered words of command which reached my ear i concluded that papa and maman and the children were being dealt with in the same summary way i felt hot and stifled under that rough bit of sacking but i would not have moved or even sighed for worlds strangely enough as soon as my eyes and ears were shut off from the sights and sounds immediately round me i once more became conscious of the horrible and awful din which was going on not only on the other side of our prison walls but inside the whole of the Abbey building and in the street beyond once more I heard those terrible howls of rage and of satisfied hatred uttered by the assassins who were being paid by the government of our beautiful country to butcher helpless prisoners in their hundreds. Suddenly I felt myself hoisted up off my feet and slung up onto a pair of shoulders that must have been very powerful indeed, for I am no light weight, and once more I heard the voice, the very sound of which was delight, quite close to my ear this time, giving a brief and comprehensive command. All ready. Remember your part. En En avant and then it added in English, Here, Tony, you start kicking against the door whilst we begin to shout. I loved those few words of English, and hoped that Maman had heard them too, for it would confirm her, as it did me, in the happy knowledge that God and a brave man had taken our rescue in hand. But from that moment we might all have been in the very antechamber of hell. I could hear the violent kicks against the heavy door of our prison, and our brave rescuers seemed suddenly to be transformed into a cage full of wild beasts, Their shouts and yells were as horrible as any that came to us from the outside, and I must say that the gentle, firm voice which I had learned to love was as execrable as any I could hear. Apparently the door would not yield, as the blows against it became more and more violent, and presently from somewhere above my head, the window presumably, came a rough call and a raucous laugh. "'Why, what in the name of—is happening here?' And the voice near me answered back, equally roughly, "'A quarry of six, but we are caught in the strap. Get the door open for us, citizen!' We want to be rid of this booty and go and search for more. A horrible laugh was the reply from above, and the next instant I heard a terrific crash. The door had at last been burst open either from within or without, I could not tell which, and suddenly all the din, the cries, the groans, the hideous laughter and mebulious songs which had sounded muffled up to now burst upon us with all their hideousness. That was, I think, the most awful moment of that truly fearful hour. I could not have moved then, even had I wished or been able to do so, but I knew that between us all and a horrible, yelling, murdering mob there was now nothing except the hand of God and the heroism of a band of English gentlemen. Together they gave a cry, as loud and as terrifying as any that were being uttered by the butchering crowd in the building, and with a wild rush they seemed to plunge with us straight into the middle of the awful melee. At least that is what it all felt like to me, and afterwards I heard from our gallant rescuer himself that that is exactly what he and his friends did, There were eight of them altogether, and we four young ones had each been hoisted on a pair of devoted shoulders, while maman and and Papa were each carried by two men. I was lying across the finest pair of shoulders in the world, and close to me was beating the bravest heart on God's earth. Thus burdened, these eight noble English gentlemen charged right through an army of butchering howling brutes, they themselves howling with the fiercest of them. All around me I heard weird and terrifying cries. "'What ho, citizen, what have you there?' Six Aristos shouted my hero boldly as he rushed on, forcing his way through the crowd. What are you doing with them? Yelled a raucous voice. Food for the starving fish in the river was the ready response. Stand aside, citizen, he added with a round curse. I have my orders from First Citizen Danton himself about these six Aristos. You hinder me at your peril. He was challenged over and over again in the same way, and so were his friends who were carrying papa and mamma and the children, but they were always ready with a reply with eyes that could not see one could imagine them as hideous, as vengeful, as cruel as the rest of the crowd. I think that soon I must have fainted from sheer excitement and terror, for I remember nothing more till I felt myself deposited on a hard floor, propped against the wall, and the stifling piece of sacking taken off my head and face. I looked around me, dazed and bewildered. Gradually the horrors of the past hour came back to me, and I had to close my eyes again, for I felt sick and giddy with the sheer memory of it all for presently I felt stronger, and looked around me again. Jean and André were squatting in a corner close by, gazing wide-eyed at the group of men in filthy ragged clothing who sat round a deal-table in the centre of a small, ill-furnished room. Maman was lying on a horse-haired sofa at the other end of the room, with Marguerite beside her, and Papa sat in a low chair by her, holding her hand. The voice I loved was speaking in its quaint, somewhat rawly cadence. "'You are quite safe now, my dear Monsieur Le Messier,' it said." After madame and the young people have had a rest, some of my friends will find you suitable disguises, and they will escort you out of Paris, as they have some really genuine passports in their possession, which we obtain from time to time through the agency of a personage highly placed in this murdering government, and with the help of English banknotes. "'Those passports are not always unchallenged, I must confess,' added my hero with a quaint laugh. "'But to-night every one is busy murdering in one part of Paris, so the other parts are comparatively safe.' "'Then he turned to one of his friends "'and spoke to him in English. "'You had better see this through, Tony,' he said, "'with Hastings and Mackenzie. three of you will be enough. "'I shall have need of the others.' "'No one seemed to question his orders. "'He had spoken, and the others made ready to obey. "'Just then Papa spoke up. "'How are we going to thank you, sir?' he asked, "'speaking broken English, "'but with his habitual dignity of manner. "'By leaving your welfare in our hands, monsieur,' "'replied our gallant rescuer quietly. "'Papa tried to speak again.' but the Englishman put up his hand to stop any further talk. "'There is no time now, monsieur,' he said with gentle courtesy. "'I must leave you, as I have much work yet to do.' "'Where are you going, Blakeney?' asked one of the others. "'Back to the Abbey prison,' he said. "'There are other women and children to be rescued there.'" End of chapter 6 Recording by Todd